Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. So I start this morning going, do we have to stop singing? It was so good this morning. The worship is so strong. And I love, I love, love, love thinking about who Christ is and all that there is about him to praise and uh, to adore and to honor. You, you really, you never get to the bottom of Jesus. Ever do you get to the bottom of Jesus. When you fall in love with him, it's because you first get a glimpse of him, but then by God's grace, as you walk with him, you get to know more and more of him, and the more you see of him, the more you love of him, and the more you want to know about him, and you just keep going deeper and deeper, and you never get to the bottom ever of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of what he's like, of what he's promised, of what he will do, you never get to the bottom of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's a great way to start a message too. It makes me want to just preach on just who Jesus is. I'm going to try to touch on that, but we want to go back and talk a little bit about the armor of God that he gives us. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. You know, as I was preparing this message, one of the things that just struck me was how hard this season has been for all of us and uh, how it is revealed in so many ways where uh, we are, where we are as a nation, where we are as churches of Jesus Christ, where our church is as a church. And uh, one of the things that in terms of our nation that's been exposed is just how capable we are as a nation of frustration, of anger, and even of hatred. And how there has come over time, particularly in these last 18 to 24 months, a marked kind of spirit of discouragement, of despair, of heaviness, of uh, weariness, of defeat. I I performed a a wedding last night and it was uh, like all good weddings are. It was, it had joy, you know, and excitement and I always love to be part of that. But what was curious to me, and honestly, I haven't done a lot of weddings during COVID. It just didn't happen a lot of times. And what I noticed is, what I noticed last night was, while there was joy on the the surface, and it was real joy, that when I talked with people before the service, the ceremony, and then after the ceremony, there's this marked, just this marked sense of heaviness, of weariness, even defeat. And it's touched every relationship, it's touched every endeavor, every plan we've made or want to make has touched every perspective we have. And in so many ways, it seems to me that the last 18 to 24 months has shown us to be a people who, as a nation, were largely uh, unprepared, ill-equipped for everything that came at us in 2020. But as I step back and look, there's something else I see and it, it troubles me. And that is this, that when I step back and I look at our culture, 
and then I look at the church of Jesus Christ, one of the things I see is that the church hasn't escaped this spirit of heaviness, of weariness, of defeat and despair, uh, and even of discouragement. And part of it I understand. We're human beings, and it's been hard, and so it's easy to be discouraged. But it still troubles me because basically this, when I look at our culture, what I see us doing to this very day, I mean, Afghanistan and the tragedy there just kind of compounds it all. But what I see happening is we as a nation are asking who, who, who's to blame for this? Who's to blame for COVID? Who's to blame for all this chaos and confusion? Who's to blame for Afghanistan? Who's to blame? Who's to blame? And at the same time, we're asking who's to blame. We're also asking who can save us? Who can save us? So we're looking for an explanation and we're looking for an answer. Explanation and answer. We need answers and we need a savior. And we're constantly asking that. What has troubled me perhaps most is how it seems as if in so many ways, the, the same questions that were being asked in the culture have been asked in the church as well. And we've mirrored the culture in this sense of defeat and frustration and all of that. We, we've been asking some of the same questions, which troubles me because the reality is at the end of the day, we've already got the answers to those questions. What is the problem and who can save us? And yet, if I, if I were just being transparent with you, it has struck me again and again and again that the answers that we already have, the answers to the questions we already know of what is the problem and who can save us have not been enough for us. And so we've mirrored the culture and saying, all right, now, who is responsible for this? And who can save us? And what's the route we need to take? And, and that troubles me. It really does trouble me. And it, even as a pastor, I'm going, hmm, somehow, some way, we've had a real breakdown in discipleship here because we got the answers. We're asking, and these are the right questions. I mean, what's the problem and who can save us? It's just that we, we've been acting as if our answers aren't good enough. And it makes me want to back up and go, good night. How is this that the church looks so much like the world? And if we as a nation weren't prepared and weren't ready for what's happened. It looks in so many ways like the church was unprepared and not really ready for what happened. And we should be, and we could be, and we ought to be, and we must be going forward. We've been living almost with a spirit of defeat, and that bothers me. 
You know, Paul in Ephesians 6, he makes the point that victory for a believer in the spiritual battles they face as they follow Jesus is ultimately, he says, a choice. In fact, what he's saying in Ephesians 6 is that whether a, a believer experiences victory or defeat in the hardships and the challenges and the attacks of the evil one really depend not in what they decide in the midst of the battle, but what they decide before the battle ever comes to them. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is the choice to live and to walk in victory, the choice to to live and walk in defeat is one that followers of Jesus actually make before the battle ever gets started. The choice is not made here when the attack comes. The choice is made here before there is even a hint of an attack. I have to choose victory or defeat before I ever find myself in conflict. And that's part of what is driving Paul. What is so urgent for him is he's addressing the Ephesians because he knows that conflict is going to be part of their following. We said, if you follow Jesus, you're going to also find yourself fighting. Following and fighting are part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. This explains kind of this urgency The choices we habitually make before conflict comes predetermines whether we will experience victory when it actually happens. And so the question becomes, how how do we set ourselves up to choose victory before the fight ensues? And that's why we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. If you have that in your Bibles, you have that open or on your uh, phone, let's look together at those verses. The Apostle Paul says, To the Ephesians, he's wrapping up his letter. He says, finally, let me say one last word to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the the, uh, breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. When you've got the armor on, keep praying. As you have that armor on, keep praying because you're going to need all the strength God can give you. You aren't strong enough, put that armor on and pray and keep praying. And if you do, he says you will win. You will stand. You will stand firm in the midst of the battle. So our Father, as we gather around your word this morning, we're grateful to you that out of your mercy and out of your great grace, you have provided for us all that we need to live lives of godliness, to live holy lives, to live faithful lives, to live strong. We're grateful for that. 
We're thankful, Lord God, that you've given us the answers to the most important questions that we face as we live in this life. What is the problem and who is the answer? What is the problem and who is the one who can save us? We're grateful for that. But Father, we confess that so easily and so often, the answers you have given us for a multitude of different reasons, feel to us as if they are not enough. And like the world around us, Lord God, we find ourselves looking for more, looking for something else, looking for something greater, looking for something different other than what you've given us. And the result of that is, Lord God, we have not been able and we are consistently unable to stand and to stand firm when the attacks come. Help us overcome this. Help us overcome this. Lord God, I pray, speak to us from your word this morning. Grant us better, deeper understanding and a greater resolution, Lord, to take what you have promised and pledged to us and to live on the basis of it. For Jesus' sake, amen. So here is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians. He's being very practical as he is toward the end of, of the book of Ephesus from chapters 4, 5, and 6. Very practical, spelling out what it looks like to live for Christ and uh, to follow him. He spells it out, and, and he's honest, which I love. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says it's going to be tough. It will not always be easy as you walk with Christ. So following is going to, to involve some real effort uh, as you carry out what God has called you to in Christ. That effort is going to have to be made. You're going to have to pursue Christ, not in your own strength, but in the strength that he gives, in the strength that the, the Holy Spirit gives. You can't do it by yourself. And he says, not only are you going to find, uh, face obstacles and hardships, but you're going to face enemies. And so he unpacks that here. And he says, basically, here's how you follow and here's how you fight. Here's how you fight. He suggests or lays out four choices that every believer has to make. And this is critical because these are the four choices you've got to make here if you're going to experience victory here. These are the four choices you've got to make here if you're going to experience victory here when the attack comes. And he spells those out for us. He says, as we've seen, that uh, the first choice that we've got to make is to be strong, not in our own strength, but in the strength Christ gives. If you try to fight in your own strength, in your own capacity, you'll fail. Be strong, he says. Here's the call. Be strong in the, in the strength Christ gives. Live strong. Secondly, he says, live faithful. Be faithful and use only the armor that Christ provides. Don't look for armor anywhere else to protect you. Only the armor that Christ provides. Live your life putting on the character of Christ. Be strong. Live strong. Live faithful. Be faithful. And then finally he says, be wise. Be wise in the enemies that you fight. Don't struggle with visible human beings, but with the invisible superhuman enemies who are far more dangerous. And he tags those in verse 12. But look at his final appeal. It comes in verse 13. He says, therefore, given the powerful enemies described in verse 12, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, you'll notice with me almost immediately that verse 13 echoes verse 10, but not exactly. 
Verse 13 echoes verse 10, but not exactly. The scripture says in verse 10, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. In verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. And I think that there is a difference there that is distinct and there for a reason. The implication is that there are Ephesians to whom he is writing, and no doubt others that will read what he's writing, who have the armor present. It is available to them in Christ, but they have not taken it up yet. The armor is there. The opportunity to be strong, to be faithful, to be wise is there, but they haven't taken it up yet. And so there's a sense of urgency as Paul comes back around to say again, and take up the whole armor. There's a sense of urgency in this verse. They have this very real set of enemies. And so he's saying to them effectively, listen, here's the armor. Take it up now. Take it up now. I'm saying to you, choose now. Because there is, do you see it in the verse? There is an evil day coming. Take it up now. It's, it's, this is not the time to try to find your armor. So take it up now. Take it up now. Because if you don't, if you don't take it up here, you will always fall here. So there's an urgency here that is contained in this verse related to timing. All this choosing, all this living in strength, all this living in faithfulness, all this living in wisdom are to be done before evil comes. I always feel sorry for the person that I run into who is, who is a follower of Jesus, but they've been drifting from it. And suddenly an evil day comes into their lives. Suddenly it, it comes, suddenly it hits, and they, they come running saying, help me, help me. And it's like, sister, brother, I can, I can pray for you. But here's the reality. You've been walking around without your armor on and you got hit. The damage has been done. Help me, help me, I've, 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 I've messed up my marriage. Help me, help me, I've messed up my family. Help me, help me, I, I did something at work I shouldn't have done. Help me, help me, and it's like, brother. I will pray for you and I will help you get up because you've certainly fallen down. You've been defeated, but... The consequences of your defeat, they're there and they're yours. If you had just chosen ahead of time, if you'd just been faithful here, that affair would never have happened. Does Christ still love me? Yes. Does he still care for me? Yes. Will he help me? Yes. 
But you got a long road now to try to repair things, build things back that would not have been there had you just here. Notice something else with me in this verse. Paul's plea to take up the whole armor is joined to a description of believers taking up this armor and then having done all they can to stand. And and as a result of that, winning in the fight by being able to stand. And what this suggests to us is a significant investment of time and effort in taking up this armor and keeping it on and planning and acting ahead to be ready for the enemy. So it's this, it's the picture is I, I, I'm going to be strong in Christ and I'm going to live strong in Christ and I'm going to practice it as we said last week in the small things so that when the big things come, I have already ready access to his strength. Does that make sense? I'm not going to look for the plug for my cord when the lights go out. Now that was a dumb illustration. Let's, let's back up. I've got a generator in my basement that I've never used. That's a dumb illustration too. Let's start over because dumb illustrations don't help. Don't you love it when that happens when you're preaching? Yeah, you too, yeah, yeah. Do you preach at home? You do. Are the sermons pretty good? What? what, Huh? Sometimes they, are. sometimes they are and sometimes... That's just like me. <laughs> sometimes my sermons are really good and sometimes they're not. It just helps to have camaraderie. I forgot where I am and that's a good thing because it was a terrible illustration. <laughs> so there is this sense of urgency. Now, he says there's got to be an investment of time and effort in in taking up this this armor if you're going to be ready. I've got to practice. I've got to practice living in his strength. I've got to practice living with my armor on in faithfulness. I've got to practice living wisely. I have to begin to learn even in the the small slights, even in the small slights, that behind a person who slights me somehow disrespects me in, in even a small way, there's something bigger back of that. It has nothing to do with a person. A person pulls out in front of me, they don't mean to, or maybe they mean to, doesn't matter. How I react to them can actually be the consequence of the enemy attacking me at the point of pride. How dare you pull out in front of me? So if I'm walking faithfully with Christ and I'm walking wisely, suddenly when a person, this is a good illustration, it's getting better, right? Okay, thank you. When they pull out in front of me and and the flesh rises up, the pride rises up, how dare you? If I'm walking strong and ready here and I'm practicing wisdom in knowing what my real enemy is. My real enemy is not the person who pulled out in front of me. My real enemy is Satan who uses and leverages my flesh flesh to make more of me than I ought to make. 
And so I go, okay. Okay. Yeah, that happened. But I'm not going to treat that person like they're an enemy or an idiot. I'm going to say we're all human. We make mistakes. But I am not going to let that. Watch now. Don't miss. This is getting good. Okay. Don't miss this. I am not going to let that person watch now pull out in front, who pulls out in front of me on my way to work. I'm not going to let that and the rising up of my pride, how dare you do that to me, impact the rest of my day. So that I'm walking, watch now, in the flesh and not in the spirit because somebody pulled out in front of me. That's good. You need to try that. Okay. Please don't be afraid to sit on the front row. <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys. Just stay put, okay? Just stay put. Don't go anywhere. Um, but do you see? Do you see? Now watch with me. Watch with me. Watch with me. Will you watch with me just for a minute? Let's say that happens. You suddenly kick over into the flesh. Satan is leveraging the flesh to get the pride to rise up. And you're, 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 uh, you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. You walk into the office. You walk into the clinic. You walk into the, to the shop or wherever it is. You walk into the classroom, wherever it is you work. If you're living and walking in the flesh, you're doing real damage. I guarantee it to your testimony, to your witness. And you will go from one one small sin to something larger, to something larger. By the time you get home that night, you are in full, you're in full-blown rebellion against God doing life your own way and making a mess of things. Does that make sense to you? So now watch this. And that's the easy stuff. I get to see some things that you all don't ever get to see or, or maybe you get glimpses of. But I mean, just this morning between services, the brokenness that people have come to share with me, not from things they've done, but from evil days that have come to them unexpected. Another story of, of cancer out here. Pastor, we, we thought it was just a routine Doctor's visit, young couple. It's like evil day. And if you don't have your armor on, it will knock you down. Another story. A family decimated by illness of a different kind. Pastor, we're just so empty. We love Jesus, but we are so empty and we're so tired. Been in the ER three times this week. It's just an evil day. I love what the husband said to me, though, and I love this. I, I told John after the, uh, we came, after we were done talking, I said, I love to see this. He said, he said Pastor, we are empty. Watch this. But he said, I can't wait to see 
how God is going to fill us back up again and make us strong. I wanted to give him a high five right there and say, yep, you got your armor on. This thing is not laying you down. You are standing firm. And that, my friends, is proof of what Paul is saying. And I love that. But it takes time. It takes, it takes discipline and it takes practice to keep making those choices in the small things so that we're ready to choose them when the day of evil comes. And folks, I want to say to you, this day of evil that Paul describes in this verse, these times of attack, um, it's just not one day of evil that happens. In chapter 5, verse 16, Paul describes the entire age in which we live as being an age that is full of days that are evil. So the idea here is that every believer has evil, day coming, evil days coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When they come is not a choice we have. It's coming. Get ready. But it's not just when they come, but also how they come that we need to be aware of. We have no choice about that either. Satan has lots, of, lots and lots of options, and he uses them. Now, the good news is that we can know something about the ways in which he attacks. Paul says we're not ignorant of his designs. If you think about it, you can watch Jesus in his encounter with Satan in his time of temptation, and you can learn a lot about Satan's tactics. And every believer who would live ready is going to understand some of the tactics that Satan uses. He'll misuse scripture. He'll appeal to your desire for, for more, all those kinds of things. You learn a lot about how Satan works by watching other believers, those who stand strong and those who fall down. You learn something of the strategies Satan uses. You can learn something of the strategies that Satan uses by what he has done in your own life. Here's what I know about every believer in this room, every single one, every true believer in this room has got at least one point of weakness that Satan has used in, in their life again and again to defeat them. You've got at least one. Some of us have got three or four. Probably all of us have got three or four, I would imagine. Jess, does that sound right? She's a counselor. Do you see three or four? Yeah. How's the sermon? Good? Okay. Three or four. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, you will know and you'll begin to notice that there are certain things in your life that come where you compromise rather quickly on the Word of God. Certain words that can be spoken to you that almost immediately hit you and bring you to a point of despair, discouragement, or defeat. It is a place of weakness. Satan is a tremendous record keeper. He, he forgets nothing. And when he's come against you and you've fallen and you've been defeated in a particular set of areas, 
it's likely, it's not necessary, but it's likely that he will come again in those same areas. And so we never know when he's coming. We, know, we never know exactly how he's coming, but we can have some sense of what we should be watching for as we're living out our lives. Here's some things I want you to remember. When Satan attacks, often his attacks come from your past, from your past actions with accusations of unforgivable sin and irremovable guilt. Satan loves to bring up the past. And for some of you, that is where your point of weakness is. It's what you've done. You can't get over it. You've tried and tried and tried to move past it. But it's a, it's, it's a word from somebody else. It's a memory. It's a recollection. Something triggers it. And there you are back in the past. And you feel so defeated almost immediately because you go, I cannot believe that was me. I cannot believe I did that. <laughs> I'm not really sure Christ can forgive that. And Satan knows that and he comes and he attacks at the point of past actions. Sometimes his attacks come from the believer's present situation. And it comes in the form of hardship or deprivation. Sometimes it comes in the form of abundance. Sometimes illness, sometimes success, sometimes false teaching. Sometimes in the form of acceptance, sometimes rejection, sometimes persecution. But he will take and use the present situation to try and defeat God's people. Attacks can come from the believer's future possibilities. And this is where temptation comes offering change. Temptation always comes offering something better or fairer. And believers face temptations to misbelieve, to lust, to hate, to fear, to envy, to be jealous, to be proud. And every temptation comes with this subtle promise. Take this step and, and there will be greater pleasure tomorrow than there is today. Take this step and you will make things right that are wrong now. A fit of anger, a fit of rage can feel so righteous. Have you noticed this? Have you ever lost your temper? Anybody, a few in this area, a few have really lost their tempers. Anybody in this lost their temper? Yeah, we're raising hands. That's good. Testimonies. At times I lost my temper. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll line you up and let you tell us. Um, you can lose your temper. You can explode and feel like it's so right. It's so righteous. I'm going to fix this. How dare you speak to me that way? I'm going to let you have it. And it can feel like, you know, God's behind it. It honors the Lord because I'm right and God knows I'm right. And man, you're making a mess. Man, you're making a mess. But you fall and you see what the problem is. You fall into this temptation. And what happens in temptation is opportunity and desire collide. You have the right opportunity, you have the wrong desires, they come together and temptation produces results. And ultimately what temptation produces is defeat. How does he go about this? Well, he has two methods and one is his favorite. One is a full frontal assault. He just comes at you straight on. And the other is ambush. Which one do you think is his favorite? He's powerful, but he's lazy. Which one do you think is his favorite? Full frontal attack or ambush? 
Ambush. That's exactly right. See, there are people in this room who have experience. He loves to ambush, and he ambushes by way of temptation. So believers don't get a choice on when or how the days of evil come, but the choice we do have is whether we're fully prepared. And so Paul indicates that with this choice comes a chance to be prepared now. And making this choice of preparation and doing it now are what believers can do for the battles that are to come. The promise and the encouragement are that when believers have done all they can to be fully prepared, to live strong in Christ, to be faithful in putting on Christ, to be wise and watching for their real enemies, that when they do that, they will win, they will stand firm. And so Paul is saying here, take up the, the armor, get ready now. Evil days are coming. If you do it now, you will stand later. If you do it now, you will be unmoved against every charge, every challenge that the enemy makes against you. Yes, you can withstand a full frontal attack. You can be ambushed, but regardless, you won't be defeated because you will be prepared. Now, it's not going to be easy. I mean, temptation is a powerful thing. He's not saying it's going to be easy, but he's saying that if you will be prepared, you will not fall down. You will not fail. The time to get ready, the time to be ready is always now and never later. Later is almost always too late. Be in the middle of a firefight is not the time to be looking for your weapons. It's not the time to be loading the ammo in your clip. That was for the men. That's not the time. If you wake up and find yourself in a fight and your arm is not on, you're done. So let's start back to where we started. When you look at your own personal experience over the last 18 months and all the hardship that's been involved and engaged with that, When you ask the inevitable questions, who caused this? Who's to blame? What's the problem? And who can save us? What were your answers? Now, I'm not asking you to divorce yourself from the real world. I don't know if China... I don't know anything about Wuhan. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Now, I know some of you think you know, but I know, and I'm, that's okay. Am I doing okay still? Okay, all right. 
But I think what I'm getting at here is, you know, pandemics happen. This is not the first pandemic. It's not going to be the last one. Here's what I do know for sure. I don't know what happened in Wuhan. I don't know. But here's what I do know. There is an enemy who hates humanity. Loves to see it destroyed. I know pandemics happen because this is a broken world. And I know I have and you have an enemy who likes to leverage this broken world against us. Am I, are you tracking with me? Now, we should you know, be realistic, do all that we can uh, to be good stewards of our bodies, our health, all that kind of thing. We shift over and go into the political categories and the unrest we're seeing in our nation and have seen, you know, same, same kind of criteria. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. Not flesh and blood. Not flesh and blood. If you can see them, they're not your enemy. It's the ones you can't see that you need to be really worried about. Same thing. So in, whether it be with, with COVID, with the elections, with, with shifts in the culture, where have you been looking for answers and who has, have you been wanting to be your savior? And if you've been looking anywhere other than Jesus, you've just been mirror, mirroring your culture. Ultimately, there is one king. Ultimately, there is one kingdom. Ultimately, what we are seeing and what we're witnessing are the results of a cosmic battle between evil and good, a battle whose end has already been decided, but the the fight continues. God help us if we don't learn to see all of this stuff we're going through through the lens of those gospel truths. We must not be looking for any other Savior. There isn't one. And the one we have is much more than enough. More than enough. So what's the problem? I'm the problem. I'm broken. Who's the Savior? Jesus is the Savior. That's what I know. That's how I choose to see all of life. And that's how loved ones... I'm able to turn to Christ and and rest in him for strength. I look to him by faith for the armor I need. All of his character qualities, I put those on because he's the savior. He's already battle tested his armor, has he not? Does anyone here remember the cross? Come on now. I'll let you go if you say amen. All right, see? It's not going good again.
And because of what I've learned from Jesus, I can live in wisdom and know who my enemy is so that I can live ready when this happens. Yeah. I think we've fallen down, to be honest. I think the church of Jesus has fallen down. I think we've, we said we believed we, we knew what the problem was and who the answer was, but I don't know that we really practiced what we say we believed. I think we've fallen down. But I know our God is a God of great grace and mercy, and he stands ready to pick us up. And my, here's my simple plea for our church is, let's not be, Let's not be that church or be like those believers who are measuring and seeing our culture, our problems in the same way that everybody else is. Let's, let's, dare, let's dare to live what we say we believe. And let's say to ourselves and let's say to each other again and again and again, we know what the problem is. We know who the answer is. He's already won. The victory is ours. Let's live like conquerors and stop living like losers. Lord God, in this place we are... uh, Humbled, we're encouraged, we're challenged. You know, Lord, I think you're using these difficult times to call us back to a radical dependence on your son. You're, You're calling us to a time of fresh integrity so that what we say we believe and how we live are made to line up again. You're calling us, Lord God, to stand and to stand firm in a world where people are falling left and right and desperately looking for answers and for saviors. None of this is easy, Lord. You you, you told us in this world we would have trouble. We shouldn't be surprised. But God, help us, would you? See who the troubler really is, who our enemy really is. And to find fresh joy and delight, peace and rest, wholeness, wellness, fullness in the one who is your Savior, this Lord Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let that be us, Lord God. Let that be us. For Jesus' sake. With heads bowed, eyes closed, you may have been living through this season in some pretty serious defeat.
discouragement, even despair. Perhaps you feel weighed down, broken down, like some who have shared with me, almost unable to get up. Oh, loved ones, there is a Savior. And He waits. Your life may be empty, but He is ready and waiting to fill that life back up again. He's faithful. Go to him. Tell him where you are. Ask him for fresh strength. Ask him for fresh faithfulness. Ask him for fresh wisdom with eyes to see. Some of you this morning, you notice a pattern in your life of despair, perhaps from the earliest days and despair from which you've never been able to get free. The answer God has for you is Jesus. If you would today, by faith, give your life to him, recognizing what he's done on the cross for sinners to bring healing, forgiveness, and restoration. If you would take that step today, he will set you free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Set you free, give you a new life, new heart, and a fresh start in life. If you're ready to take that step toward Christ Jesus, the pastors and I will, will love to meet with you out in the lobby. Just find one of us, Pastor Seth, Pastor Adam, Pastor Bill, myself, and just say, I'm ready to take that step toward Jesus. It's been happening again and again in recent Sundays. I invite you to take that step. Lord God, would you take and seal your word to the hearts of your people. We are prone to wander, Lord. We, we feel it. We recognize it. But you're the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. And you forgive you restore, and for this we're grateful. Prepare us, Lord, today for whatever evil days are coming so that we might stand and stand firm is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.